Okay, we're starting now Parshas Mitzvah. This is Sunday, Parshas Mitzvah. In Parshas Tazariah, the previous portion, we spoke all about all the laws of determining if a person has this spiritual skin disease called Tzaraz. It came out as a physical skin affliction, but was expressing a spiritual energy. And now, we're up to the purification of this person, which means at this point, all of the signs have left him, and now begins a rather lengthy period of his acquiring atonement and complete purification, which is long. This is a very severe process, because, of course, this is supposed to create this total inner cleansing from anything that led to the Saras affliction. So in the first verse, chapter 14, verse 1, God spoke to Moshe, saying, this shall be the law of the one who has a Tzaraz, called the Mitzora, that's the name of the Parsha, on the day of his purification, he'll be brought to the priest. The priest is the one, the only one that was allowed to declare him impure until the priest declared him impure. He was not impure. A doctor doesn't do it. No one else can do it. He can't do it himself. He could be the greatest sage. Only a priest can declare impure, and only the priest is one that can help him go through this purification process. It says, this is the law of the one that has the Torah, the Torah, on the day of his purification, which he shows out that they cannot purify him at night. The priest shall go forth to the outside of the camp. The priest shall look and behold, the Torah's affliction has been healed from the Torah. So he has to go outside the camp because that's where he was. In other words, for the entire time, once the priest declared him impure, he was outside all three levels of camps. And he cannot come back until he begins this purification process. The priest shall come in, and for the person being purified, there shall be taken two live pure birds, cedar wood, a red tongue of wool, and hyssop. Hyssop, that's how it's translated. It doesn't mean hyssop. What we know of is that European um, um, plant that has the, the same name. You know, that's a plant of the mint family. That's not what we assume this was. In his medical writings, Maimonides states that it's an herb called the atar that's native to Israel. A very, very low-growing herb that grows out of the wall, like moss. So Rashi here comments on a number of these terms. So it says that he has to take two live pure birds. So the question, so Rashi explains live meaning to exclude a trefa. A trefa means, literally it means a torn one, but it means a bird or an animal that's alive, but because of certain physical defects, inevitably those defects are going to lead to their death. But of course, this comes up with terms of animals that we have to check the lungs of a slaughtered animal to make sure they don't have these lesions on them that our sages say would lead to their death. So even though it was a kosher cow, ritually slaughtered, perfectly acceptable, with a perfectly acceptable knife, but we can't eat it because of these lesions that would make it called technically a trefa, one that is going to die, and therefore. Why does Rashi have to explain live? Why? Because if we look further in the verses, it's very obvious that the birds are alive. Verse 5 says one's going to be slaughtered. Verse 7 says the other is flying off. So obviously they're living. So therefore, this word becomes unnecessary and therefore must have a deeper meaning. The birds are described here as live and as pure. 
so Rashi explains, pure meaning excluding an impure bird, a bird of a non-kosher species. Now, why are we taking birds as part of this purification? Of course, we're going to see later other animals are brought as well. Because classically, we think of these afflictions of Tzaras coming because of gossip, this verbal twittering. So therefore, for the purification, we take these birds that twitter, that chirp. The cedar wood, because cedar wood goes very tall and high, and it's also viewed as coming, this affliction, because of haughtiness. This red wool and hyssop, so we're saying he should be lowered from the arrogance, like a worm. In other words, a worm is struggling with a play on word. Because in the Hebrew here, it says, Ushni Tola'a. And Tola'a means dyed wool. And it also means a worm. We actually explained earlier, Rashi explained, we, we had a comment on the Rashi, that there was a, a, a type of red berry in which always there is this worm that they used as the dye. So that's even a deeper connection between this dye and this worm. So lower oneself from the cedar wood to the worm and the hyssop, which again isn't hyssop as we think of it today, but it's some very low-growing herb, like, a, a, like something that grows on the walls. So the cedar wood is taking a stick of the cedar. And the wool, it's literally, it says a, a tongue of wool dyed this red. What I mean by a tongue of wool is wool that was combed, but not yet because they would comb it to these long, like, tongue-like strips. The priest shall command, and the one bird shall be slaughtered into an earthenware vessel over spring waters. Spring waters, so you put the water first into a vessel. So, in other words, uh, you're gonna, the blood of the bird is going to fall and be discernible in this water. And how much water do we want? We want precisely... Uh, technical, legal amount called a revius. So that's a very small amount of water. We only want a very small amount of water. So even the blood of a small bird, we're going to notice it in the water. What is a revius? There's various opinions, but from a little more than three fluid ounces to about five and a half. And whatever it was, it had to be exactly that revius. The live bird, he shall take it, and the cedar word, and the red tongue of wool, and the hyssop, and he shall dip them and the live bird into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the spring water. So the fact that the way the verse is constructed says a live bird, he shall take it and then lift everything else together. Rashi says we learn from that we don't join them. In other words, we have the live bird by itself, and then we have all the other items, the cedar word, the hyssop. Those are bound together by this tongue of the red wolf. Um, so we have one time with the bird, live bird and then one time with these two other items down by the, the red wool. But later, when it speaks of dipping them in the water, it says he shall dip them and the live bird. So, we, so the verse is sort of rejoining the bird to the other items, reinstating it. So when it's dipped, they're all dipped together. Then he shall sprinkle seven times upon the person being purified from the terrace. He shall purify him, and he shall set the live bird free upon the open field. 
The person being purified shall immerse his clothing, shave off all his hair, and immerse himself in the water and become pure. Thereafter, he may enter the camp, but he shall dwell outside of his tent for seven days. Outside of the tent, meaning he can't have relationships. So he allowed that back into the camp, which he wasn't allowed until this point. But he's not done the process, obviously. On the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair, his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and all his hair shall be shaved. So he shall, shall he shave off? He shall immerse his clothing and immerse his flesh in water and become pure. Now we have here like a general statement and then details and then a second general statement. If you're following precisely these words here because first we had a general statement, he should shave off all of his hair. Then the next phrase gave us particulars, his head, his beard, his eyebrows. And then the next phrase was a general statement, all of his hair. Now, how do we understand that? It seems like the verse is previous a lot of times. So this is a rule in how we look out in, in the study of Talmud that a general statement, then specifics, and then another general statement means to include any other similar situation. So it's not only the head, the beard, and the eyebrows, but will be another similar situation, which here means any place on the body which has a dense covering of hair that's visible. So that's the interpretation, meaning just as the head, the beard, and the eyebrows are areas which are visible and a dense covering of hair, so to other areas that are, are similar. So uh, the armpits are not densely covered with hair, the nostrils are not visible and densely covered with hair, so they will be excluded. They, you might think they'd be included in the general situation because of the general and the specifics. And the general, we know to extrapolate to a certain degree, but it has to be similar to these points that were in the specifics. On the eighth day, he shall take two unblemished male lambs and one unblemished female lamb in its first year, three-tenths apha, a fine flour, as a meal offering mixed with oil, and one log, a log is a just as an apha is a halachic legal measurement, so is this log of oil. So he needs a female lamb for the sin offering. The three-tenths of the apha of flour is because with these lambs, we're going to have an offering of these liquids, which require not only liquid, but also a meal offering, meaning a flour. And this log of oil is to sprinkle on him seven times. It's not literally sprinkled on him, but rather sprinkled in the direction of the Holy of Holies. But it's also put on him, on the cartilage of his ear, on his thumb, and on his big toe. So this is not talking about the oil that's going to be used with the meal offering. How much is a log? A log is six times the volume of a pizza, a chicken egg. And again, my authorities differ on what this means. Some say a pizza is two fluid ounces. Some say it's three and a half fluid ounces. So the volume of a log is either between 12 to 21 fluid ounces. That's how much oil was used for these seven sprinklings in the direction of the Holy of Holies and for the oil that was then used also on the cartilage of his ear, on his thumb, and on his big toe. 
priest who purifies shall place the person being purified along with them before God at the entrance of the tent of meeting, Rohamoid. The priest shall take the one lamb and bring it near for a guilt offering with the log of oil, what we just discussed. They shall wave them as a wave service before God. So before God, we're told here he placed him at the gate of Nicanor, but not, he didn't literally go into the courtyard itself because he's still lacking atonement, and therefore he wouldn't be allowed to be in the courtyard. But the gate of Nicanor was the eastern entrance of the courtyard. Standing there could be said to be before God because you're facing the entrance of the temple. But he couldn't get any closer because he's still lacking atonement. He didn't yet bring the offerings that atone for him and are the final stage of this process of purification. It says to wave because while still alive, these animals had to be waved. This verse is in the, the peace offering. When those parts of the offering that are burnt on the altar are waved after the animal is slaughtered, here they're waved all alive. And we're waving here the guilt offering and this log of oil.